0: Hey, everybody. Come on in. Come on in. Uh, I know you guys can't see me yet. Uh, I'm going to turn my camera on. I just need to get some lighting in here. Um, So if you could give me one second to uh, get set up, uh, I might need um, a couple of minutes because I got (laughs) to I'm in this hotel room trying to figure it all out. Um, So one thing I wanted to share with you uh, while we do that is uh, this week, Alicia and I are going to do something, uh, a training called the Love and Money Lab as you know, my wife is a licensed therapist, uh, a full professor of social work. She does work with a lot of couples uh, on uh, issues that relate to how to have a good relationship, how to make things work in your household. Uh, and also, you guys know my doctorate's in finance. So we decided to partner together to do a one-day training event uh, called the Love and Money Lab. Um, and, uh, and basically, it's all about love and bonding, building bank accounts, all that stuff, and so what I'm going to do is because you guys are in this class uh, and because uh, I want to treat you special, you don't have to pay anything to join it. So if you'd like to register, you can actually register right now while I get all situated and stuff. I'm putting the link inside the chat. So the chat's right, uh, the link's right there. Let me know if you see it and uh, you can register. It's going to be on February 13th, right before Valentine's Day. So if you are either in a relationship or seeking to one day be in one and you want to uh, merge your assets uh, with your partner in ways that feel good and understand how uh, money and love kind of connect, uh, then you, can, you guys can join uh, for free. Uh, there's, a, there's a cost, but if you see an email, saying that there's a cost, just know that you're already in, you don't have to pay anything. So give me one second, guys, let me get set up. I need to put a light somewhere because I am in uh, I'm in this hotel room and it's weird. So one second. okay so i I, i'm trying to make this work i am literally in a um i'm literally in this freaking hotel room and uh can you guys hear me okay can you see me all right you'd be amazed if at first let me show y'all what it would have looked like if i hadn't made this adjustment hold on look at this look at that see see this is i would have been shadow man so i had to fix that um lighting is really important if you get into stuff like content creation or uh, online teaching or anything like that. Just think, think carefully about how you, how you sound and how things look on the screen. Uh, that's really important. So anyway, there is, uh, let's see if this is a wonderful course. Thank you, Carlotta. I appreciate you saying that. And uh, let me, uh, let's see. Hmm. Please text me right back to morning webinar. Uh, let's see. I, I'm not sure about that question. Zaki I don't, but anyway, here is the link. If you guys want to join uh, Dr. Alicia and I uh, on the 13th uh, for, uh, the Love and Money Lab, uh, we decided to put together some training on uh, on love and money because we noticed a lot of people making mistakes in this area. Uh, I've mentioned to you all how uh, your economics affect your relationships and how your relationships affect your economics. And if you don't sort of balance those two things, then uh, it can just be a complete mess. And, uh, and it, it's really one of those things that I don't think gets addressed enough. And uh, so there we go. All right. So, um, uh all right so so one thing about uh wh- one thing about today in terms of our our daily financial consciousness training uh I tend to lean on things that uh God gives me uh in terms of stuff to discuss that given day and uh lat- and this morning for whatever reason university stuff came up I started thinking about colleges and uh all the money that we spend let's see the link goes to the ten commandments oh you know what <laughs> I think I gave you all the wrong link. See, that's that's why y'all got to check me. Y'all got to fix me. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me for that. Let me fix that right now. I'm going to grab the link and send you the right link cuz I sent you the wrong one. How about that? How about that for uh, I'm I'm looking like Joe Biden right now. All right, so <laughs> All right, so let me uh, actually to give I'll give you guys a second to go hit that link and sign up. Thank you for telling me that. See, what would I do without you? I need y'all to correct me. Um, But anyway, uh, when I say looking like Joe Biden, it's not like Trump is a spring chicken either. So we got these old guys running the country. So hopefully they're taking their medication, eating their Wheaties. All right. So, (laughs) okay. so um, did everybody see, did everybody get the link? Uh, So, yeah. So what Alicia and I are going to do is uh, we call it the Love and Money Lab or or basically Love and Bank Accounts. That's what the word L-A-B kind of came out to. We just thought that would be kind of cool to call it that. And effectively, it's all about how you can blend your uh, your finances in a way that really benefits you. Uh, because if, if you do it right, your relationships can be an, ex- an economic accelerator. Uh, this isn't a really important consciousness exercise is really to think about your relationships. If you did the 30 days to uh, financial consciousness that we did uh, in the month of January, which, by the way, you can go to DrBoyceElevate.com if you want to go, go through that training. It's not too late. You'll find that one of the things that we did meditate on and sort of reflect on in our consciousness journal is our relationships and how our money affects our relationships and how our relationships affect our money, uh basically uh, I've seen a thousand when I wrote a book called Financial Love Making Years Ago uh when I was on the faculty of Syracuse, I saw a lot of people that really, really had a tough time in their lives because something was going on financially as it pertains to uh just friendships, relationships, et cetera. What are some examples? Well, uh in th- th- this week, for example, uh, I had a guy that reached out that wanted to do business with me and uh and I wanted to do business with him uh because he seemed like a nice guy. Well, then somebody reaches out to me and they said, well, you know, he's got a criminal record and he was convicted on a a kind of fraud. And uh, it was a financial fraud. And I was like, oh, man, I I can't, you know, I like him. I I just can't. I can't. I can't connect to that because that's going to, you know, that could go bad. And um, and so that's an example that that came from experience. Right. Because 10 years ago, I probably would have said, you know what? It's okay. You know, a lot of black people go to prison. It's not right. And, you know, they deserve a second chance. But with financial fraud, I can't take a chance like that because I've spent 15 years building trust. And, you know, and and when the trust has been jeopardized, it's because somebody was allowed to get close who wasn't necessarily doing the right thing. Uh, And again, it's nothing against anybody who has a record. I mean, it kind of sucks because in the black community, so many of us, so many of our people have dealt with the the system. And uh, but the reality is that relationships matter, uh, who you're associated with does matter. And, the, um, and so that's one example. Another example is, uh, you know, I, I know guys who can't do anything in their lives money-wise because of things like child support. Child support's just kicking their butt, you know, throwing them under the bus. And a lot of that's because if you circle back and go back 10 years before that moment where the guy is crying and devastated because he can't pay the child support, he's trying to build a family, he doesn't have enough money to do that. Well, maybe earlier in his life, he was a ladies' man. Right. And he had many relationships with many ladies that, um, you know, told him he was cute and he didn't understand the the the, the, that there are risks that come with that. Um, You know, again, I'm in I'm in Las Vegas and I met a lady uh, who is on the radio and she calls herself Nick at night and uh, she's a very nice lady and she knows Michael Bayston and I know Michael Bayston. And she uh, had, she was basically uh, paid by the uh, L.A. Raiders or Oakland Raiders or I guess the Las Vegas Raiders now. What am I saying? That I'm sounding like an old man here. Uh, but the, by the Las Vegas Raiders, <clears throat> they paid her to come in and just talk to the athletes about Vegas and relationships. And she said, this, this city will chew you up and spit you out. And the biggest things that end up destroying the wealth of men Typically, and, and women have their own vices as well, uh, tend to be uh, sex, drugs, alcohol and gambling, sex, drugs, alcohol and gambling. Those four things, if not done in moderation, uh, can destroy everything that you have going on economically. And uh, and in fact, actually, I've even spoken uh, publicly and stated that I think that the NFL is absolutely egregious by allowing legalized gambling to be so closely connected to their sport i think that that's going to have a lot of casualties a lot of families are going to get destroyed a lot of lives are going to get destroyed so um anyway i let's talk about uh college for a minute and in the first part of our reflection and we're gonna we're gonna go back into the book the ten commandments of black economic power in a moment but i want to start by uh talking about college and basically uh, what I observed in my many years as, as a college professor, I taught at uh, Syracuse University, Indiana University, the University of Kentucky, the Ohio State University. I also taught in China. I taught in Europe. And, I, and uh, my wife did a sabbatical in Guyana. So I got a chance to see university systems around the world. So I got a chance to really understand all the ups and downs of of, of every kind of system and, and just the bent, the pros and the cons of each. And so uh, so here's what I wanted to share with you guys About college, okay. Um, So, so one of the things that a lot of people don't um, realize is how deeply embedded your educational process is uh, with your economic outcomes. Um, You know, it's one of those things where you, if if you don't think about this carefully, it it will ruin you. Uh, It'll put you in a worse spot than you were when you started. and basically, it's one of those things that requires a little bit of thought, right? Because some people would just say college is a scam and that's it. And I'm not going to disagree with that, with that statement entirely because it can be a scam. Absolutely. But is it always a scam? No, it's not. Uh, college can be, it's one of those things where it is, uh, it, 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 it can be scam-like in the sense that you're paying an incredibly high price to learn things that you could probably learn other places for free. Like for example, a lot of you that are enrolled in this class, maybe you're paying you know $20 or $30 a month or something like that. Uh, this is one of the lower cost programs in the Black Business School, but it was because I really wanted to do this every day with you all. Um, and, uh, and and I'm a college professor, just like I was when I was at Syracuse where my students pay $71,000 a year. And so what, what I would say is that with college, and somebody asked me to sort of sort this out, and it really came up because at Harvard there was—you may have heard about this—they're—they're they're teaching a class on Taylor Swift, and uh, and I and I I put it on Twitter, and I kind of said this is fascinating that people are going into debt for something like this. I think that's so interesting, and uh, and some people use that to sort of uh, double down on the statement that um, that college is a scam. I don't think college is a scam. I, I think that it can be. And so here are a couple of things I observed when I spent years teaching on college campuses. And this is something important for you to understand as you fit education into your economic priorities. Everybody should get educated. It's just a matter of choosing how you're going to do it. So uh, the, the the first thing I would say is that the cost of tuition has gotten way too high. Uh, it used to be a time where college didn't cost so much money that it would leave you broke. Now college has gotten to the point where it's just ridiculously expensive and a lot of people get hurt by that. In fact, the um uh average black college graduate, half of all black college graduates default on their student loans, which destroys their credit and and hurts their ability to build wealth. So it doesn't it's like a cancer. It doesn't just harm you uh in the present, it harms you in the future. It doesn't just uh it's like being in a car where they not only uh, pushed you back a mile in the race, but they also flatten your tires. So not only are you further behind, but you're all, you also can't go as fast as you could before because somebody told, stole your money, put you a mile behind in the race and they cut your tires in the process. So, so, so your ability to even make up the gap that's been created is, is, is minimal, right? So, so you're not just in a hole from the student loan debt. You're in a bigger hole uh, because you're, your future ends up sort of you know being affected by this, right? So anyway, um so so give me one second. Oh, oh. sorry. Allergies. Okay. So the so the cost is way too high. Um also so student loan debt has become a, a significant problem. Thank you, Veronica. And um and that that's real a real concern. The other thing I noticed about college is that we, you have to really be conscious again this is a, there's that word consciousness okay so you want to be conscious about what you study when you go to college um all of our kids are going to go to college but i think that when you think about education it's very important that you don't do it in a programmatic kind of way in a way where you just follow along behind someone else's rules or simply do what somebody told you to do college is a process where it can be wonderful for you if you're learning the right things that help you achieve the right goals. So uh, if you're trying to become a dentist, well, you, you can't become a dentist unless you go to college. And dentists do very well. And dentists c- can typically pay back their student loans. That's not a problem. But if you go to college and you're learning, uh, you're taking classes on, um, like I said, they have the class on Taylor Swift. Um, I mean, unless you're going into the music industry and you have a plan on how that's going to help go make you a couple million dollars, I don't really know the economic benefit of spending all that money, taking a class on Taylor Swift. And in college, you have a lot of students that think that because they were on this campus for four years and because they got a piece of paper, that that's going to impact their economic outcomes. And that's just simply not true. Uh, I've been both a college professor and I've been an employer. I've been employing people for a really long time. And I have never really cared if someone had that piece of paper when they came to apply for a job, with me, I don't care. I don't ask. I don't know. If you ask me about all my team members, did they go to college? I really don't know now that I'm thinking about it. I think one of them happened to tell me, but it wasn't because I asked. It was because it came up in conversation. All I pay attention to is, can you do your job? Can you help us achieve our goal? Can you help us get things done? So if you want to get the proper education, get an education that helps you either you get things done or helps your clients to get things done. And, and to me, your boss is a client. You know, it, it, that's basically uh, someone for whom you're working on their behalf in exchange for economic compensation. So your boss is basically just another client, just like if you ran a consulting firm. And the best consulting firms are the ones who help their clients get results. So the best education you can get is the education that helps either you or your client get the result that they're seeking. If you cannot do that, then that education was a waste of money and a waste of time. It's like having a big fat gun and you pointed the gun at the wrong target and you shot fifty five thousand bullets and you paid money for those bullets. But it doesn't matter because you shot in the air. You shot the gun in the wrong direction. Who cares? Who cares how many times you shot the gun? You didn't achieve the goal. Right. Uh, the other thing about college that is interesting, too, is that there is a culture just like I in the book, The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power. I mentioned to you all economic culture and we talk about culture extensively. And uh, and and so just like we have a culture here, our culture right now in this space is Black culture. Our culture is uh, intelligent Black culture. It is uh, wealth building culture, right? Uh, You know, it's hard. It's maybe it's hustle culture, hard working culture. We get up every morning and we do this every morning at 10 a.m. Eastern, and uh, and that's that's our culture that we have in this space. Well, the same way we have a culture right here, there is uh, a culture on college campuses. And I didn't pick up on this until i have been teaching on college campuses for a long time. It took me many years to understand this. But basically, in campus culture, a couple things are true. For most college campuses, if you are a Democrat or a liberal, then your ideas are readily accepted. If you're not liberal or progressive or Democrat, then your ideas are going to be typically rejected. You're going to get a hard time. I've seen college campuses that... Would bring on the democratic speakers and liberal speakers and and let them do whatever they want to do, but then they would um, shun and shame and ban conservative speakers. I always thought that was wrong. Uh, I, I'm not a liberal or conservative. I like to I like to listen to all the ideas. I like to try to understand what everybody where everybody's coming from. Not everybody thinks that way, and uh, and I think that d- just that idea of telling certain people that they can't talk it creates a natural bias. So what happens is, uh, in terms of being black. I've seen black people go off to college campuses and get an indoctrination into a set of liberal ideas that sometimes can be in contrast to things they might have learned from the black community or maybe learned from their grandparents who went through segregation, who went through Jim Crow, who are teaching them equally important values about how to survive as a black person. Uh, So one of the things that that one of my pet peeves is when I see some some kid uh, from the south go off to like Columbia University, and then come back to Alabama, thinking that he knows more than his grandfather does, or knowing that more thinking he automatically knows more than his grandmother. I'm not saying that you can't add value to the family culture. But when you sort of come back with this arrogance, this idea that somehow because I've been educated by white folks, I am now superior to working class, hardworking people, who've been able to sustain families for many, many decades, who've gone through far more than I've gone through, uh, somehow that I'm superior to them and that they can't teach me nothing. It's my job to always teach them and to uh, help, you know, almost looking at them. You know know what I'm talking about? Where you look at them almost like they're too old-fashioned and they need to be educated on certain things. That's not really true. Uh, You know, sometimes you think things are better because they're different or we think they're better because they're new. But I would argue that when you talk about economics and culture, some of your best ideas are the old ideas. Some of your best idea, you know. And it was interesting because I I had a, a person who, um, if y'all if y'all gonna want to follow me on Twitter, feel free to follow me on Twitter. It's it's really fun. Um, just be ready because I might say anything on any given day because it's it's all a matter of what God just puts in my brain. Um, and uh, and there were, and I I think I said something about um. The, the, the conservatives making these racist comments, and I said, that's not going to be good for them. And, uh, and someone said, you know, well, you know, conservative means you're trying to conserve America, and you should know better than that, because conserving America means you're conserving racism. And I said... Actually, I don't think that that's what it always means. I think for some people, it could mean that. For some people, it could mean we want to go back to the 1930s when Black people couldn't do anything, you know, significant in America, in white society. Um, I don't feel that way. The way I feel is that there are some traditions in the Black community that should be conserved. There are some traditions, some approaches, some beliefs. Give me a yes if you're following what I'm saying here. There are some beliefs in the Black community that, our, that if we did those things today, we'd be in a much better place than we are right now. You know, how about things like I don't know, family, um, family sticking together, or people staying married, or black people not killing black people, <laughs> like, or or black people building businesses, right? Like, how are you going to tell me that every single thing that anybody would want to conserve is automatically bad and that new stuff is always better i don't believe that i don't think that i think i don't think that's a very thoughtful perspective i don't think you're thinking carefully when you believe automatically by default that just because something's new that makes it better i mean you know just a couple years ago it was a new thing that a man could decide he wanted to be a woman and then go compete in a woman's sport uh, and they even did that. I think they even did that in um in kickboxing. <laughs> they let a they let a woman a man you know claim that he was a woman and he he was kickboxing and he almost killed one of the women in the ring. He almost he, he crushed her skull. Right. You know, so. So, again, I don't, I don't know how you guys feel about that. I'm not judging one way or the other. I'm not telling you to believe what I believe at all. Uh, but what I am saying is that not everything that's new is always better. Sometimes new is worse than what you had before. So I would encourage you just as a consciousness exercise to just engage, embrace the idea of thinking for yourself. Consciousness. Remember, consciousness is a type of awareness. Awareness means you're looking around. And you're questioning things. You're you're looking at things. Um, I did an interview uh, this week actually on this um, podcast it's called the Digital Social Hour or something. And this is it's this it's really weird. It's this 26 year old white kid who has 11 million Instagram followers on his platform, 11 million, and I and 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 he makes probably I'm gonna guess maybe five to 10 million dollars a year just doing all this stuff with this podcast. And, uh, you know, he was a nice guy, very humble. And, and I talked to him for a minute and because for whatever reason, he wanted to interview me and my wife and, you know, about love and money and stuff like that. And I was happy to do it, you know. And um, and one thing that he and I both had in common is that we neither one of us really fit into the school system. Neither one of us fit uh, into public schools. And I said, I think I know why. Uh, I'm I'm exactly twice your age. He was 26. I'm 52. But I said, I think I know exactly why you and I both had terrible grades. We were always in detention. They told us we had ADHD and they, they wanted to put us on medication. And he said, why? I said, because there's something about when the brain is alive, it makes you question everything. And when you start questioning things, you don't fit into systems. Systems don't do well with people who think for themselves. Systems tend to do well for people who follow the rules. Uh, Most education in America, unfortunately, is really pretty much a training on how to sit down and shut up and do what you're told. That's what it is. That's what it becomes. Uh, If you look at studies on high school valedictorians and people that make straight A's, they're not people that go off and make a billion dollars and change the world. They're people that get nice jobs. They get good jobs because they know how to do their job. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are people that should do that their job. And, and, and if your job is is doing right by you, <clears throat> then you should keep that job. What I'm here to say is I'm not here to tell you to quit your job. I, I've never went around just telling people that they have to quit their jobs. I just want you to be financially secure. <clears throat> and, and, and financial security can come with a job. You can, be, you can have a job and be financially secure, but you can't be financially secure if all your security is built on that job. Do you understand? A lot of people think that the riskiest thing a person can do financially is to become an entrepreneur. That's not, that's not always the riskiest thing. It's not by default. I mean, sure, there's extra risk. There's a different kind of risk, but it's not, that's not the riskiest thing you could do in many cases. I know a lot of entrepreneurs who have six or seven streams of income. Their risk is lower than a person who... Is depending on one stream of income. <clears throat> I mean, if you are a single, if you are a single parent with one job, living paycheck to paycheck, you're living on the edge. And I'm not telling you to feel bad. I'm just telling you to to be become conscious of the situation and assess the risk and see if there's a way to minimize that. If you are a single parent with one job with one income, living paycheck to paycheck, that's a very risky position to be in. Now, what I want to do is over time introduce you to methods and mechanisms that will help you men- reduce that risk. Um, I did this training called the secrets of black financial security. And I, I don't, I got to go find it. Um, and, and I think, and what I did was it was, it was sort of, um. let me see if I can Google it. And I, I'll share the link. Um, I, I do all kinds of stuff, uh, <laughs> see, um, but yeah. And if you can't find it, um, if, if, if I can't find it, then, why don't you um, email support at the blackbusinessschool.com And I think you'll like it because literally I said, what does it look like to be financially secure? Like what does financial security look like in general? Like how do we even know that we're secure? Because that's the other funny thing too, is that financial security is one of those things where, here we go, I'm giving you guys the link in the chat. Financial security is one of these things where it's like you think you're secure until something happens. And then you realize you weren't secure in the first place. So it leads you to go back in time and say, man, I never saw this coming. I thought I was ready. I thought I was in good shape. I had a good job. I was making good money. Wait a minute. What happened here? Right? So ultimately, um, I would I, I want you to kind of know some of the elements, some of the symptoms, almost like a doctor diagnosing a patient or an illness. Just know what the symptoms are to know that you are financially insecure and then know know how to find the symptoms of being financially secure. It's like banks. Banks want to test the financial security of of other banks uh, or regulators have to test the financial security of banks. How do they know if a bank is financially secure? Well, they do these things called a stress test. The stress test is where they say, well, what would happen if 50% of your customers came and wanted to pull their money out right away? What would happen if the, the stock market suddenly collapsed and and all your assets went down in value. What would happen if the real estate market went south, right? They do that stress test, right? So a lot of us don't even, we're never even, not only do people not do it, but they're not even trained to do it. We're not trained to do it. And and, and what what is unfortunate is, I think we live in this world where they lull you to sleep. They tell you everything's okay. They want you to be comfortable. They want you to sit there and sit still and, and believe that everything's all right and then bam you get broadsided hit upside the head and you're traumatized and devastated and shocked it's almost like being in a relationship where you think that you are madly in love and everything's fine and that your sweetie's going to be there forever and then out of the blue you just find out that it's not like that I, you know it, a lot of us have probably gone through that i know i know i've gone through it. it i mean it traumatized me right so so i think the same thing is true when you talk about your financial relationships now one thing i want to mention also is uh if you all i'm about to pull up the slides in a second but if you all have not picked up um the study guide and the book for the class uh the book is the 10 commandments of black economic power and the study guide is drboysbooks.com or it's all at, at drboysbooks.com so feel free to uh, go take a look at that and uh there's actually a bundle somewhere inside this the store i'm trying to see if i can find the link where you can actually get the book, the study guide, and then actually even um, if you want a copy of Powernomics from Dr. Claude Anderson, you can actually get this with this bundle. So what I'm going to do is actually share that link in case you haven't done that yet. And uh, feel free to go grab that. And so it would come with my book, Dr. Claude Anderson's book, Powernomics, as well as the study guide and stuff like that. And uh, and also if you really, again, I, I'm, I'm a big believer that if this is stuff that really sits next to your heart, I want to encourage you to be a teacher too. Um, I would like now let's see Taquana says my study guide still hasn't arrived email support at the blackbusinessschool.com if you ordered it with, within the last week it, it probably isn't going to be there I know Anna sends everything out though when the orders come in so let's let's make sure your order uh, has been sent out uh so email support at the blackbusinessschool.com and they can take it care of you they can make sure that you are covered okay so let's uh let's let's hop into our consciousness exercise today. And um, and if you don't have your study guide, if you order it and it takes more than 10 days for it to get there, then uh, email support at the blackbusinessschool.com. Also, if you log into com, there should be a digital copy of the study guide in there. Um, uh, and also these slides uh, and, uh, and everything that are all put in there. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to text Chanel and have her put that inside uh, the course curriculum, too. Let me see. I'm going to literally text her right now. Um, let's see here. Okay, I'm texting her right now. I believe in doing stuff right away. Um, Okay, so yeah, so if you log into drboysdaily.com, you'll have a digital copy that'll hold you over until your physical copy arrives. Okay, so... Uh, so so what I want to uh, address and discuss today has to do with, um, uh, so last time we talked about the cost model, contribute, own, save, invest, target, right? Uh, and that basically means that when you want to be successful financially, you have to um, basically, uh, you basically have to really target your money in terms of thinking about a couple of things, right? When I think about where I'm going to spend my money, I think about, making sure I'm giving my money to people who are going to somehow be a part of an ecosystem that's going to benefit me and my family, right? So if I spend money or I give money away or I do charity or anything like that, I think it's okay to have a little bit of selfishness when it comes to uh, what you do with your money. Uh, If you don't, then you're going to you're going to find yourself giving everything away and having nothing left for left for yourself. And one of the keys of wealth preservation is understanding that money is is kind of an animal that feeds on itself. Money is like a, a like a plant that has seeds in it. And uh if you, if you if you have an apple tree, those apples all have seeds in them. They they're supposed to reproduce, right? So ultimately, uh there is a, a reproductive power of money that if you harness it properly, you can actually put yourself in a situation where you no longer have to do some of the things that you thought you had to do to get money, like go to work. The reason that you have to go to work every day is because somebody in your ecosystem wasn't trained enough to understand how to harness the reproductive power of money because lord knows your ancestors worked hard enough for all of us our ancestors did enough work to last 10 generations you know i mean they they already did the job you know they already put in the time and, and so 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 you possibly think about it like this let me let me just think let me let me explain it this way every time i do a training with you guys i record everything uh if you're like for example if you're in the black stock market program stuff like that You'll you know that if you log in there, there is like about seven years worth of content in there. Seven years worth of lectures that that I've done. Um, and and and, and here's the thing. Um, what you know, part of the reason that you have so much content is because every time I have done a lecture, I pretty much save it. It's like because because why would I keep on busting my butt and. And working so hard to, to do lecture after lecture after lecture and having nothing to show for it. Now, I give lectures every day with you guys because I enjoy it. I really enjoy talking to you. Um, also, it is close to my heart. It is something that is, um, I thought about this. I literally figured this out today, this morning. I kid you not. Um, I figured out today that if I ever made a mistake, and this is, I'm, I'm really having a vulnerable moment here. Um, if I if I ever made a mistake as a parent, it was that I never got a chance to spend day to day time with my daughter. I wish that when she was young, I could have been there and talked to her every single day. And uh, and I was young, and uh, I just didn't do do it the way I wish I could have done it. Uh, I loved her mother, by the way. I know people think that when you have a kid and you don't, the kid's not in your house, that somehow the man just dumped the woman after he had the baby. That wasn't true. I I loved her mother. I would have married her in a second. But, um, but you know, but not everybody that, that you like actually likes you. Uh, but But, you know, I remember thinking to myself, I think when I got about maybe 45, I thought about not just her, but just any, like a couple of younger people that I'd known in my life where I realized that, like I didn't understand, like, why is it that I told them the right things to do in life? I, I gave them the best advice I could, but maybe their lives didn't turn out the way I wanted it to turn out. And I'm not talking about my daughter anymore. I'm just talking about generally speaking, young people I've mentored. And what I realized is that one element that was missing was repetition. Uh one thing that was missing is that is this fundamental reality that you cannot get around, which is that. It's, it's easy for somebody to come into your life a couple of times a year or maybe one time and tell you all the secrets to the universe, but it's another thing if they're talking to you every day and you're building a whole culture around those ideas, right? It's, it's another thing if they're talking to you consistently and, and you're repeating it, repeating it, repeating it to the point where it becomes a habit. See, and that's what I learned. Oh, it took me a long time to figure this out. And this is, this is what I believe is true when you talk about black economics and and why we haven't really done the things that we need to do even though we know the answers right like black wealth is not a mystery to me black wealth and the racial wealth gap is not something that i stay up at night trying to figure out because we don't know the solution we don't know exactly how white how black people can have wealth the way white people do no we know exactly what to do it's easy it's not hard you know what is hard it is forming the habits and the culture that is consistent with wealth growth and wealth accumulation, that's the hard part. I go, I, I go back to the fact that when I was gaining weight, and 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 I, you know, it wasn't like I didn't know what to do to lose weight. It's like I, it wasn't like I didn't know how to exercise. I knew how to exercise. I knew where the gym was at. <laughs> I, I knew that if I got up and ran three miles a day, I was not going to keep gaining weight. I knew these things, but what was the problem? It was my habits. My habit was to get up and eat potato chips knowing that those potato chips were not good for me. Um, You know, my habits were to not go to the gym to sleep in because, you know, sleeping in is a lot more fun than getting up and going, you know, going to the gym. And if I'd had, and going back to that point that I was mentioning to you all, like why I decided to start teaching every single day, as opposed to doing like once a month or whatever is because I said, you know, if I really believe this and I really want what's best for you, I need to be here with you and talk to you every single day and help us build a culture around economic black economic excellence, you know, black economic excellence. I'm talking about us really being clear and conscious about all the things that are depleting our wealth, all the ways to acquire wealth, all the ways to be successful, all the ways to prepare our kids. Uh, and so, so, So going back to that point about financial fertility, which, by the way, financial fertility is a concept that we started speaking about in the black business school. I don't know. If um, I don't know if that's something that is in any other book anywhere, I've never seen it before. But the term financial fertility came to me because I remember when I was in my PhD program, and we would model we would do mathematical models. Of how money grows which is just it's just like calculating how many miles a car will drive if you're on the road for 10 hours and you're driving on 50 miles an hour right so think about that equation right they it's process that in your head don't let math intimidate you for a minute i want y'all to go with me on this uh so if i am in a car going 50 miles an hour and i drive for 10 hours how many miles will i cover write that in the chat i want us to just do this this is a consciousness exercise how many miles 10 I, i'm going 50 miles an hour i'm driving for 10 hours how many miles do I drive? Okay, thank you, Sharon and Stewart. Five hundred miles, right? Believe it or not, every wealth equation is built on that very same idea. It's literally built on the same idea. The only difference is that it just gets a little more complicated. Like what what I describe to you is what they call a linear equation. A linear equation is where you 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 make assumptions about how fast something grows and it, it it remains constant, right? So that car is constantly it consistently going fifty miles an hour. That you know whatever. But but what we introduce in our financial equations is what they call nonlinearity. That's basically where uh, the rate it's like imagine measuring a car that's driving 50 miles an hour, then it goes 40, then it goes 70, then it goes 60, and then also uh, sometimes it goes to the left, sometimes it goes to the right, sometimes it goes straight, sometimes it goes backward, and then calculating all of that, like putting all that in, right? but but the basic idea is is what i just described to you and it's something that you've known your entire life you've known these things your entire life like you knew you've always known that if a baby is one and you wait 10 years is that baby gonna be the same size as he was when he was one years old yes or no what's he gonna look like how 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 much he's gonna be much much bigger He's not gonna be the same size. So so money is the same way. Money, when you think about the growth of money, I want you to think about the growth of your kids. Okay, right? and and then I want you to think about Again, consciousness exercise, and so look at your kids and think about you know you know you go to a family reunion and you bring your seventeen year old and you got this cousin who hasn't seen the seventeen year old since they were three and they're freaking out because he's like he's got a beard and he's a deep voice and they're like when I saw you you were this tall you I can't believe it. my gosh time goes by so fast that's what we start. we start saying that more and more as we get older don't we <laughs> time, time what where'd the time go I thought it was nineteen ninety eight and here it is two thousand twenty what is this 2024 stuff and, and that and that's just just and if you haven't gotten to that stage in life just know it's coming I promise it's coming it's going to happen to you it happens to all of us and uh and so so really money is the same way the growth of money money has a natural fertility to it money naturally grows just like that baby naturally grows the only way a baby won't naturally grow is if you do something to stunt its growth the only way a baby will not grow is if you stop it from growing. What well, what are some ways to stop a baby from growing? Well, you, I mean, you know, we could delete a ba- a person, right? That's called killing them. You can something you can even kill them before they're born, right? I'm not judging, but that's true, right? A baby that's dead doesn't grow. Well, that's what happens with a lot of our money. We don't even let it grow. We kill it before it gets a chance to grow. Well, what are ways to kill your money? Well, uh, uh I don't know, giving it away to white people, that's one way to kill it not pursuing opportunities the word poor stands for uh passing over opportunities repeatedly so when you don't when you either don't have the courage to pursue an economic opportunity or you give up too early or whatever then you pretty much kill the baby right the baby's gone uh what a you know uh spending money wasting money on bad decisions things like that that can keep money from growing uh and then also you go back to that baby and uh and and the other thing about the way a baby might grow is that that if you give the baby vitamins, though, on the good side, if you give the baby a healthy diet and you take care of the baby and you protect the child and you nurture the baby when it's first born, put it in the incubator because it's a preemie and do all these things to keep the baby healthy, well then the baby's gonna grow and the baby's gonna grow big and strong. And, and if you give the baby enough time, eventually that baby's gonna be, you know, a big, strong, healthy child, especially if you've been properly managing the health of the baby. Well, the same thing is true with your money. Right? If you if you kill the money, by wasting it, throwing it away, giving it away to white folks, spending it on poor decisions, or getting into bad financial choices, uh, things like drugs or gambling or babies' mamas or whatever, uh, or broken relationships, then these things kill your ability of your money to grow. And then also the best way to kill the ability of your money to grow is to not put yourself into a financial vehicle that's going to allow for that financial growth. That that The, the leading uh, financial vitamin On the planet, that's another term I've never used, but I don't think anybody else has used it. The the leading financial vitamin on the planet that I've seen is the stock market. The stock market is like giving uh, some sort of growth steroids to a baby and making that baby turn into Shaquille O'Neal. And Shaquille O'Neal's on my mind because I went to this place that he owns in Vegas called the, the Shaq Lab or something. I went there last night for some sort of event, and I heard Shaq is here doing all kinds of stuff. Shaq owns probably five 600 businesses, and he's also just a really big guy. And, uh, and so, so basically, the stock market does that. So, so think about it like this. So, uh, so think of it like – think of your money like little children. So some people have little children that are never born, or maybe those children die when they're young. Or maybe those children are short children because they they were malnourished. They weren't fed when they were kids. They didn't get any vitamins. They were being fed, you know, um, Kool-Aid and, and plastic when they were kids. I don't know, right? And so they're, they're tiny, like Gary Coleman. And then you got babies that got vitamins, right? And were had a healthy diet and a healthy lifestyle and, and were take, well taken care of. And then they become these big Shaquille O'Neals. Well, those are like what I see when I see rich people. Uh, typically, wealthy families... Uh, they have these big Shaquille O'Neal size bank accounts are people that have some process in their family, in their lives, where not only has the baby been allowed to grow for a very long time, but the baby has been fed all kinds of vitamins uh, every single day. And the difference between the, the financial babies and the human babies is that the financial babies uh, human babies stop growing after a certain point, right? You get when Shaq got to be 18 years old, he didn't grow anymore. He was seven foot two, seven foot one. He didn't grow any taller. Well, financial babies can keep growing. So imagine if Shaquille O'Neal was wasn't 52 years old. Imagine if Shaq was 152 years old, and imagine that uh, for 152 straight years he kept growing at the same rate that he was growing in middle school and high school. Right. And so, so at that point, he wouldn't be seven feet tall. He'd be about eighty feet tall. He'd be so he'd be a big giant. He'd be walking through the streets, stomping on buildings and stuff like that. And that's what happens with money. You have some people that become these financial giants because there have have been uh, a great there's a, been a great amount of vitamins put into the food for the baby, and uh, and so the baby, the financial baby, grew into a giant. And also, the baby has had a long time to grow. And the baby has been protected. They didn't put the baby up for adoption. They didn't kill the baby. They didn't malnourish the baby. They always fed the baby. So really what I want you to understand is that the reason that you have to work, let's go back to working. The reason that you got to get up and go to work every day to make enough money for you to pay the bills this week or this month or this year is because somebody forgot to feed the baby. Somebody put the baby up for adoption. Somebody killed the baby at birth or before birth. And because this tradition of killing the baby, the killing the financial baby is so heavy in society and in our community, everybody's starting over from ground zero. Everybody's having to get up and, and or, or, and then, and then in some cases, remember the baby could also die because somebody else killed the baby. Thank you, Angel. She says, lynch the baby. Yeah. They lynched the baby. This is why reparations is such an interesting conversation. It's not even a debate at all. There's, there's no, no question about whether or not we're old reparations. We, everybody knows we're old reparations. And if you notice, the reparations baby is massive. It's a $14 trillion baby. And, and so white folks are saying, well, we can't, we, can't, we can't give away a baby that's that big. That baby's gigantic. But it wasn't your baby in the first place. You stole that baby. <laughs> you took that baby out of the hospital. And we were the ones who fed the baby and raised the baby and took care of the baby, but you stole the baby. So you got to give the baby back because we are the parents of that economic baby. So, uh, so ultimately when Dr. King used to say, we're coming to pick up our check there, that was an extraordinary way to describe the fact that we as black people have worked our butts off and given so much, and we deserve to be compensated for that. Now until the day that those reparations payments arrive, I want to encourage you to also understand that there are individual ways for you indiv- as, a, as a person and as a family to establish economic culture that allows you to grow your own economic babies. You can still grow financial babies. You don't need to necessarily wait for the reparations check. I don't know if it's going to happen in our lifetime. I don't know if I want it to happen in our lifetime because I do, I think that we're, we're not sophisticated uh, enough uh, collectively and not. Courageous enough collectively to negotiate in the hardball fashion that would be required for the compensation to be appropriate. There are ways you negotiate a contract. There are ways you negotiate a deal. And the same way we poorly negotiated integration. Integration could have been negotiated in a much better way. We, like if we could have said, you know, hey, Major League Baseball, if you want Jackie Robinson, then uh, you can have access to him, but you cannot have him. So if you want Jackie Robinson, then you got to schedule the Yankees to come and play all the teams in the Negro Leagues every year and let us come play in your stadiums and we're going to split the money. You know, if we had been negotiated properly, we would have said, yeah, we'll, we'll come and consider working with your businesses. But we have to be uh, have equity stakes in those businesses that we are a part of. Right. If integration had been negotiated properly, then maybe it could be it could be said, like, you know, hey, look, we'll support your stores and your shops. But you got to support black owned businesses, too. If you ain't ready to write a check to us, we're not going to write checks to you. We're not going to go and sit in a, at a lunch counter and let you beat us upside the head just for the chance to give you our money. No, we, we, we how about we beat you upside the head and for you to have the chance to get a, 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 for, for you for for you to have a chance to give us some of your money. Maybe that would make sense. And 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 that and that's the interesting thing, right? If you switch the race, it becomes very strange, right? Like imagine white people sitting at a lunch counter and getting beaten to an inch of their life just for the right to write a check to you. Like that, that, I mean, that's the craziest. That would, that would sound insane. That sounds ridiculous. But for us, it, it seems to make perfect sense. We think that's normal. I don't think it's normal. There's nothing normal about that. And I hate saying it, but it's true. Okay, so let me share a slide here. Um, we talked yesterday about the cost model of, of cooperative economics. Uh, contribute, own, save, invest target. Uh, that means that you should uh, think of your money as a weapon where you contribute to the things you believe in. You want to own things. Uh, Wealth is should be or financial success should be measured by ownership, not just by what kind of job you have or how much money you make or what kind of car you drive. Uh, and I think that's important uh, in terms of a financial awareness or financial consciousness exercise that your children should go through, because a lot of our children are trained to be responsive to and to believe in uh, economic nonsense. Right? They see a rapper with a fancy car. They think that he's doing well. Or a girl meets a guy who lives in a nice apartment. She thinks he's he's balling. And uh, and that's just silly. That's just wrong. That that That's a just bad economic consciousness. And when I wrote my book, Financial Lovemaking, actually, I remember interviewing a lot of women who really fell for the rope-a-dope when it came to a man and his money. I, I, I interviewed women who married basketball players, and most of the women who married basketball players in their 20s were not very happy in their 30s and in their 40s. Many of them were financially devastated because they didn't understand that while you married a man who had a had temporary access to an extraordinary economic opportunity, the culture around him might have been so bad that he was going to go out of his way to destroy those opportunities. In fact, he was, it was the culture around him with the, the liquor and the weed and the, the women and the stupidity and the ignorance and all that, the culture around him was so bad that not only did he waste the opportunity that was given to him. He actually made his life worse. He made it worse. It's like giving somebody a Lamborghini and you tell them, "Hey, you know this Lamborghini can go really fast. It can go 200 miles an hour, and you can really get to places really quickly." And the person takes control of the Lamborghini, but they don't know how to drive. So, and they and they not they don't just know how, not know how to drive, but they're driving drunk and they have no objective for where they want to drive to. That person should not have access to a car. That person is going to. Crash that car and kill somebody. And last night I talked to a radio show host who was talking about a an, um a Raiders player, a, a Las Vegas Raiders player, where he got a DUI while he was here. And she said that they sat him down and talked to him and said, "Look, this is bad. You're gonna you're gonna ruin yourself. Be very careful." And do you know what this buffoon did? I, I'm gonna call him a buffoon. That's kind of mean. I, I well, let me take that back because he's young. This you know what this man did? He gets a brand new car because he never had that much money before. He drives down the road at 150 miles an hour drag racing. He slams the car into a lady walking across the street with her baby. And everything catches on fire. The car explodes. The lady dies. He's now in prison. So that was a, some of y'all may remember that story. It was a very public story. And, uh, And that made me sad because here you had a guy who had access to everything. He had access to the world. Remember, income is not wealth. Income is not wealth. Income is the opportunity to build wealth. So income is not wealth. Income is opportunity. So if you don't have a culture around you, if you don't have a mindset around you that teaches you to uh, to conservatively and intelligently preserve, protect, and build on every opportunity you will have, then you will never have any wealth. That, that luck or that stroke of God, that blessing you received, that allow you to get access to some amazing opportunity. That's not going to last forever. Everybody doesn't get opportunities forever. It's like like when when I watch the Super Bowl, there are going to be plays uh where uh where there's going to be an opportunity to get down the field or just like the Detroit Lions had opportunities to score touchdowns. And because they did not seize those opportunities, they did not win the game. So so a lot of us get opportunities and because we don't have the awareness to say whoa I got a big opportunity let me maximize this situation let me take this to the next level let me take this to the end zone because we don't necessarily have that level of urgency and intensity about our lives you see people in really bad situations and then it's really terrible because because sometimes you'll see some guy who you know had access to millions of dollars a year when he was 25 years old and now he's 38 and he can't make that kind of money anymore and all he has are these haunting regrets of all the things he could have done all the opportunities See, you got to understand that that opportunity i don't know if anybody ever watches star trek or any of these sci-fi shows but in star trek they have these things called wormholes and wormholes are these basically these like really high energy um portals that can transport you very far, very quickly. You walk through the wormhole and you're next thing you know, you're 10 billion miles across the galaxy or something. And, and I, and, and so when I see opportunity, especially financial opportunity, I look at that as a financial wormhole. You have that fleeting moment, just like a wormhole. Wormholes are temporary. Wormholes, when they close, they're gone. When they close, they're gone. When you see it, you got to jump through it. Right? So you have these temporary opportunities where If you maximize that opportunity, you can change everything, not just for yourself, but for all your descendants, generations, uh, five generations ahead. Um, Shaquille O'Neal, for example, we talked about him earlier. Shaq is a guy who saw this financial wormhole. He said, you know, how often am I going to be lucky enough to be seven foot two inches tall and with, with the dexterity of a ballerina and the strength of a freaking elephant and be able to go into the NBA and sign these multi-million dollar contracts. So rather than being unconscious and making bad choices, Shaquille had smart people around him, starting with his mother and his father. His father was a military man. Uh, we I think we underestimate the significance of having that intelligent, strong male in the life of that young black man. Uh, we've, we act like that's not important, but it's very important. Shaq's father uh, set him straight and he taught him to be disciplined and focused and to make good choices, so now forty years later, thirty years later, Shaq is running half the world. I've been, I've run into Shaq-owned businesses two or three times since I've been in Las Vegas. This man is doing a little bit of everything everywhere, and uh, and so what happened was he jumped through the wormhole. He didn't fall asleep and say, "Oh, it's going to be there forever." Uh, Antoine Walker, who played uh, in in the NBA, also is a guy who didn't jump through the wormhole. He thought it was going to be there forever. He just, you know, so he goes and he'd spend, uh, you know, $200,000 at the casino or whatever. And now all Antoine has are regrets. You know, there are no grandkids that are going to be wealthy because he was there. There are only grandkids that are going to be born in poverty starting all over again because granddaddy blew the bag. Granddaddy didn't jump through the wormhole. Granddaddy had the opportunity to build wealth and did not seize that opportunity. Okay. So um, by the way, so some of you were asking, how do you get the recordings of all the trainings that we do? If you miss a class, you can go to drboysdaily.com, drboysdaily.com. Um, I, I think that the membership is about $59 a month, uh, or at least uh, Dr. Boys Daily, we took 25% off the price. So it's um about $59 a month. You get access to everything. You also get access to the community as well, which is on B1 Nation. I'm going to go jump right over there right after we're done to see if anybody's there. If you guys want to chat afterward, if you can't find the community email support, at theblackbusinessschool.com, and uh, you can do that. Also, uh, don't forget on the 13th, Alicia and I are doing our Love and Money Lab. Uh, We're going to do training on the uh, mistakes you want to avoid when it comes to money and relationships. So uh, uh, if you want to join that uh, again, there is a fee attached, but you don't have to pay it. You can join for free. Just hit that Zoom link and you can register. It's going to be on the 13th and uh, and it's going to be based on scientific principles. Uh, one thing I think that happens, and this is one of the reasons why I like talking about love and money topics with my wife is because she's got training in this area. She's you'd be amazed how many relationship problems people have that could be easily solved if you simply talk to a therapist. Or, if you talk to somebody who's scientifically proven, and and that or that that does not include people that you see on the internet because a lot of people on the internet, people will follow their advice because they sound good. Uh, sounding good does not mean make you qualified. <laughs> right? Being able to make your words rhyme while you talk uh, or and play some really exciting clip with music or does not mean that what you're saying is actually going to work. and uh, and what therapists do is they have to scientifically test their ideas. And, and, you know, with thousands of couples and see what works and what doesn't. That's why uh, this is what one thing that made me a big believer in listening to therapists is when I saw a study where they said they can listen to a couple argue for five minutes and predict with 95 percent certainty whether they're going to stay together or not stay together. I said, how in the hell can you listen to somebody argue for five minutes and predict the future of their relationship based on a five minute argument? Well, it has a lot to do with the science. It's all about it's not about what problems you run into. It's how you address those problems. So a lot of the breakdowns that we see that are very expensive, very costly, financially and otherwise, emotionally and financially, those things are actually preventable uh, if you get some training on it. So I'm a believer that Uh, When we talk, we're talking earlier about college and how college spends a lot of time teaching you a lot of stuff that isn't actually going to help you. That's actually not going to help you solve a problem or help you achieve a goal. I think that one of the things that um, if I was having kids, I would train them on relationships. I would have them go through some courses on how to uh, how to connect with others. That's where the sturdy model comes from in the black business school. S.T.E.R.D.Y. stands for for, uh, the way the way your kids should make money with systems, technology, entrepreneurship, relationships and delegation. And the Y stands for youth. Uh, delegation means that they can have other people help them as opposed to doing it all by themselves. Relationships means that if you have good relationships, it's very easy to build wealth. If you have bad relationships, it's not only a wealth destroyer, but it makes it much harder for you to accomplish your goals. Uh, and then I can keep going down the list. But we're, we're not going to talk about the, the sturdy part today. Uh, let me introduce you guys to something. Um uh, and I'm going to put this slide up here. And actually, I'm going to have to step to aside for one second because I gotta plug in my laptop. So give me 30 seconds. And, and in fact, by the way, if you want to, uh, while I take this really quick break, uh, if you want to actually go register for the event with Alicia on the 13th, you can go do that while I go and plug in my laptop because it's giving me the low battery warning. So give me a second. Okay, almost ready. Here we go. Okay, we're good now. Hold on. Uh, I gotta have to sit on something so I can be higher. You all have no idea how bootleg my setup is in this hotel room. It's so crazy, but I really wanted to talk to you guys today. So I wasn't gonna miss this for the world. All right, so let me share this uh, with you all. This is um, an economic theory that we came up with in the black business school. You're not going to find this in any textbook. Um, And uh, just like you won't find a black financial therapy department in any um, in any institution that exists, because no institution that I know of studies black wealth uh, the way we do. We focus on this. So So to my knowledge, we're the only place that has Ph.D.s and attorneys and stuff like that, that actually really drills into black wealth. So our, so here's one thing that we put together that I think will help you understand economics um, on, a, on a much higher scale. Uh, one thing that people don't understand about economies is that you can actually create your own economy. You know, you can actually do it yourself. And I think that the do-it-yourself model works really well for black people because we're so dependent on white people to do everything for us. And if white people don't deliver, if they don't show up, we feel like we're lost. We feel like we don't have any place to go. And that's just not true. Uh, if you understand the fundamentals of how an economy works, you'll realize that you can actually create your own economies. So what I put together was a simple 3C model for building your own economy. And uh, and basically, it's built on the idea that with an economy, typically you have a seesaw effect, uh, just like you have buyers and sellers. You, you, you pretty much economies are built around the idea of people coming together and trading things. That's what it is. Even before money was in existence, you the richest places in the world were places where people got together and did trades with each other uh you know i trade my fur for your horses and you and then i trade my horses for your pigs that kind of thing so uh so ultimately these three these markets um they they, they operate like a seesaw because you need this balance they call it equilibrium in economics where you have enough buyers and enough sellers to make the market actually function and if there's not enough buyers or not enough sellers what will happen is the price will keep adjusting until you get enough buyers and get enough sales. Let me give you an example. If I'm selling uh, shoes and uh, and I have, you know, my shoes are tr- are priced at $100 a piece and no one is buying those shoes, then in order to get more buyers, what would I do? What would I get if I, what would I do with my price if nobody's buying my shoes? What would happen? What would I have to do to make that adjustment? Answer in the chat. I would lower my price, right? Maybe I lower it to 90 and see how many buyers I get. Then I lower it to 80 and 70. Wait, right? And then maybe I get to the point where I say, okay, my shoes, I, I thought about charging 100, but I'm actually going to charge 60 because that that's what now I've got a ton of buyers. Now everybody wants it because the price is 60 instead of 100, right? So markets operate with that type of equilibrium, like a seesaw, where with a seesaw, if one kid is really heavy and the other one's really light, if like the one kid represents the buyers, the other kid represents the sellers, then that seesaw is not going to work because the seller side, the little kid, can't put enough weight down to make it an effective seesaw. And then in the black community, our problem is that our seesaw is really jacked up. And and what do I mean by that? Well, because there are some markets where all of us want to get on one side of the damn seesaw. All of us uh, for example, if you look at uh, the market for employment, the labor market, are more black people trained to be job creators or are more black people trained to be job seekers? Answer me in the chat with that while I sip my coffee and just wait for you all to respond to the obvious. This is a consciousness exercise. We are trained at an epic level. <laughs> to be job seekers that's that's you go to linkedin all you got is all different kinds of black people of all education levels all seeking jobs all looking for an opportunity and i'm not judging that i'm just saying that's what it is very few people on linkedin or a lot of other social media platforms are are putting up posts saying we're looking to hire 100,000 black people they, that just doesn't exist. There are people that probably could pull it off if they understood economics a little bit better, but they, they're not even thinking that way. They're thinking, like, how can I get my next gig? Even, even the people that could become billionaires like your Taraji P. Henson's are going to the public and saying, I can't get a good job. They won't pay me enough on my job. Well, really, if I was to talk, if Taraji was my sister, I'd say, well, you know, you're an international brand, you're a billion dollar brand and you know lots of people. So why don't we go call some banks and use your celebrity to get a, a you know, a $10 million loan so we can start actually employing people and we can be the boss. We can we don't want to we don't want to sign the checks. We want to write the checks. So don't sign we're not signing the back of checks anymore. I want you signing the front of checks. Right, and that's not something that we that a lot of us grew up with. This is where culture comes into play. So basically, with an economy, you tend to have three major markets: you have a market for capital, a market for contractors, and a market for customers. What does that mean? What is a capital market? A capital market is what leads to job creation. That's what creates corporations. That's where Amazon came from. Amazon came into existence because Jeff Bezos went to he had he had a three hundred meetings with a bunch of investors and and got 50 investors. Wait, what was it? 50, was it 50 times 20? I want to say 50 investors to give him $20,000 a piece. And he raised his first million dollars to start Amazon, right? And that, that was a capital market. You have the, on one side of the market, you have the investors. And then on the other side of the market, you have the people looking for investors, looking for the capital. Or like with banks, you have the people loaning the money. On one side, and then the people borrowing the money on the other side. Let me ask you another consciousness question. Again, this is why black people's seesaw is off balance. Why our economy, why the black economy isn't what it could be. So if you were to, if I were to ask you, what are more black people typically going to do? Invest money in others or look for people to invest in them? Loan money to others or borrow money or be borrowers? Which which side of the seesaw are we more likely to occupy based on our culture? We're more likely to be the people that are seeking investment, seeking capital. So black business owners start businesses. They don't have a capital base. Nobody in the family can really provide the money. So they're going and they're like, we have to go to white folks and say, hey, I need you to loan me money. Hey, can you invest in my business? Hey, can you and And, and the problem with that is. That typically investors want something for their investment. They don't give that money away for free. So when that angel investor comes along, and we cheer for this, we're very happy. Like we think about. I want you to reflect for a moment on how many times you've seen an economic post that says something like, um, uh, "I don't know. Let's say a little black girl starts a lemonade business, and they say that she that 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 she receives a hundred thousand dollar investment in her lemonade business." and everyone hits the like button because they think that's an an exciting thing. I'm not saying that it's not, right? But how many of you have seen posts like that, right? Like little eight-year-old girl raises $200,000 for her business. Uh, Black man with a barbershop raises a quarter million dollars to build barbershops around the country. How many of you have seen posts like that? right? And again, this is a consciousness exercise. So the reason those posts are a little bit problematic is because... One thing that we have yet to really understand that we have to really reflect on in general is that all money ain't good money all money's not good money, so a lot of times venture capitalists will invest in your business because they want to own it they will invest in the business because they want to control your business they want they want to push you out or minimize your ability to really do what you want to do you know and 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 so so ultimately, uh, our inability to fill both sides of the seesaw creates cultural disconnects and problems that end up plaguing a lot of us when it comes to what we can actually do when we do get those opportunities. So so the market for capital, the capital market, to b- build a business, you got to raise money for the business. You have to raise capital. Capital isn't just money. <clears throat> capital can be uh other forms of capital. it can be intellectual capital, human capital, uh, it could be relationship capital, stuff like that all right uh so the uh the next market is the market for contractors. That's a labor market that's job seekers and job creators. so again we we talked about this earlier, which side of the seesaw do black people tend to occupy that of a job creator or that of a job seeker which one are we we tend we do we tend to sort of fill up? we fill up the side of the job seeker. So that's like again like a seesaw. Has anybody ever has anybody ever gone to the park when you were maybe 7 before you understood physics and tried to play on the seesaw by yourself? How many of y'all, let's do a confession seriously. Like I mean, it's embarrassing cuz it makes it makes you feel kind of dumb. But has anybody ever tried that? Tried the like really depressing act of trying to play on the seesaw by yourself when there was nobody else on the other side? Well, that that's what it can feel like sometimes if you are a black person who is um, seeking jobs where there are no jobs. Right? All the weight's on one side of the equation. So the only way, because there's nobody in the community to fill that other side of being the job creator, well, the white man comes along and says, oh, well, I'll be the job creator. I can I can create jobs for you. In fact, vote for me. Vote for, vote for me and my party's gonna create lots of jobs for you people because y'all don't have anybody to create jobs for you right but see the thing about it is in the capitalist system the job creators are the ones who have all the power it's it's the, it's the bosses that run things right it's the investors that run things not not the not the people that are in debt so so they integrated you so that you can come work for them and be in debt because they're like well nobody wants the the short end of that stick but black people will take it because they'll do anything in order to be in the same room with us because they love us so much um what's the last Market. The last market is the market for customers. All that is is buyers and sellers, producers and consumers. So last consciousness exercise. If I were to ask you, are most black people raised to be producers of a product or consumers of a product? What would you say? Are more more black people raised to uh, develop products and sell them? Or are we raised to make a little bit of money and then go buy stuff? What do you think answer me in the chat answer me this is a consciousness exercise well we know the answer to that question right we are the we're not just uh consumers we are trained to be super consumers we are trained to consume at a level that is absolutely extraordinarily epic um just look at entertainment. Look at the way we consume entertainment. Did you how many of y'all noticed this? Some some of you that are very conscious have seen this and and read about this. But anybody remember when Oprah Winfrey started the own Oprah Winfrey network and couldn't get anybody to watch and the Oprah Winfrey network was was failing for a while? Anybody remember that? What saved the Oprah Winfrey network? What allowed Oprah to uh to take that network to the next level? Well, she called up her buddy Tyler Perry. And said, "I need to create. I need you to create some content for Black people, and uh, and and and, and because Black people love to watch TV, they love to consume, and so next thing you know, the Oprah your Network takes off. So, so with here's the deal though, with this model, the three C model. If you understand the three C's of building an economy: the market for capital, market for contractors, market for customers." You can do in a vacuum in any ecosystem anything that you want. You can do this in your church. You can do this in your family, in your investment club, etc. Let's do, let's do an example. Let's do it right here in this room. All right. So, um, hmm. uh, I want to create. I I found an opportunity um, while I was in Vegas, and I realized there's a shortage of daycares and preschools that educate kids on economics before the age of five, and so I want to create the doctor boyce daddy daycare where we're going to train children uh, or or babysit them and keep them safe but also we're going to train them on economics and uh and so i think this is going to work this is going to be a great idea uh but in order to start this business i need to raise some capital so i found a building that is uh, a quarter million dollars we have to put down a down payment of say 20 grand so i got to raise $20,000 to acquire this building so i need investors how many of you uh, have an extra one or two thousand dollars that that you would be willing to consider investing into this business. It's, it's pretend money, so you could just say yes in the chat uh, if you you know if you want to be in. How many of you would like to be investors in this business? So I just I need like a, a, a about a thousand to five thousand dollars each for each each of you, and uh, and maybe it's money that you have sitting in your four hundred one k that isn't doing anything. Uh, maybe you just want to be a part of it. Right. OK. All right. So, OK, I see some names. I see some I see some folks in here. Wow. look at look at this. We we've been oversubscribed. Our IPO has been oversubscribed. We have uh, so many people, so many of you that have come up with that first uh, you know, five, ten thousand dollars that we need. 20, or we, We're way beyond the 20 grand. All right. So let's see. I see Jay Rubin and Trené and Henry and Christina and Josephine and Stuart and Angel and oh, awesome. OK, so we got our money now. Yes. We've we've accomplished, like that's, that's big. Do you know how many black owned businesses get aborted? How many great ideas never exist because you can't raise the capital because you can't raise five or $10,000 to get started. Right. It's awesome. Right. So when you do the $5 a day plan for your kids, you're solving that very important problem. Where, where are we going to get the money to do this? Because we have no shortage of creativity. We have no shortage of work ethic and many of us have no shortage of skill. But one thing we, our challenge with is raising the money so we've raised the money that's that's a big deal so now i've got the 20 grand i'm gonna go make the down payment i'm gonna get the facility get all the equipment and everything installed and fine okay um now i have to go to the second market the second market which is the market for contractors i need i need help i can't do all the work to run this daycare so here's what i'm looking for now i'm looking for anybody uh, and pretend like it's not in all all in Las Vegas. I know some of y'all live in Philadelphia and LA and all that, but pretend like it was in it's in your city. Um, I need uh, people that are willing to come and work for this daycare. Um, you know, for a fair wage, uh, and maybe we have to just work together, like maybe an IOU kind of thing. Like we we document how much we owe you, and then when we start making money, we start getting the income. We'll pay you, I promise. Uh, and it's it's just based on whether or not you. Uh, we have a good credit rating with you. Uh, how many of you would be willing to do that? How many of you would be willing to give some time or maybe come in and, and work for a fair wage and help us to watch these 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 kids and, and train them and teach them and stuff like that? And maybe some of you have experience. Anybody got experience with kids? Anybody had kids? Anybody raised kids? Anybody educate kids? How many educators we got? All right, all right, so we got, okay, wow, look at this, man, this is awesome. So now we're raising even more capital. We're getting access to another form of wealth. Right, I want you to consciously observe what's happening here. So, Stuart and Veronica and Josephine and Carlotta and Sharon, what you're doing is you're helping to fund and capitalize a black-owned business. You're creating fertile economic soil. I'm getting inspired by the fact that some of you have have helped us raise the money. Now, a lot of you are helping us to raise the people, the people power, the the, the, that other form of capital, what they call human capital. So, we're getting this done. This black-owned business. Is coming to life we're giving birth to the baby right this is this is we're jumping through the wormhole this is powerful this is amazing you don't know what this business is going to become so we got one more hurdle we got to jump though one more hurdle we got to jump so we raised our money to get the business we've got our people together we we, we know who's going to work we've already scheduled people in the shifts stewart's going to work tuesdays at at four and carlotta's going to work up uh, work the night shift on sundays whatever right okay now we need the the last part, the last C, which is the market for customers. OK, we need because we got customers. We have enough customers and we're good because we've already produced something. Now we just got to sell it. We got a product, you know, production, distribution, monetization. Now we've we produced something, you know, we've, we've marketed. Now we just need customers that are going to buy it. So here's what I need now. Um, How many of you have like some little badass kids that you don't mind dropping off? At um at the Doctor Boy's Daddy Daycare, Powernomics Daycare, uh, or what? How many of you, um, how many of you have kids that we, you would you you would want to bring by? And we'll keep them safe. Like we're gonna have cameras on, saying so nothing bad gonna happen to your kid. We promise you we're going to make sure that they're safe. Everybody's going to be vetted. We're going to run background checks. How many of you have kids that you or know people that have kids? How many of you know, have grandkids, whatever, that you'd be willing to bring to this training camp or training center so that they can be uh, protected and, and, and watched, but also be educated on economics at an early age? Okay, I see a lot of yeses. Sydney and Gwendolyn and Dave and Carol and Angel, right? So there's so many people. Nelly, look. Now we've got an oversupply. We we've been oversubscribed to the number of parents. There we got a waiting list now. We got a waiting list, y'all. We don't. We didn't just create a product, but now our product is oversubscribed. We have more demand than we have supply, and having demand is the secret. To building up any business. If you have something that people want that solves a problem, then you're good. That's how you make your millions and your billions of dollars. So literally, right there in front of you, we just within this room, within this room, without help from the government, without um begging white people, without waiting for corporate America to help us or whatever, we we did this right here in this room. We built this business. This thing became real right here in this space. Because we solved the three C's. So what I want you to do is at some point, I want you to meditate on this. I want you to process this. I want you to think about this. You can watch this training again if you want to. But I, then I want you to maybe get together with your church, your investment club, your sorority, your fraternity, your your buddies, your, whoever, your circle, your clique. Go to the All Black National Convention. Get together with some people. Go through the three C's of building an economy. and 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 come up with an idea and see if there's something you can execute. Uh, Because if you do that, if you understand the power of these ecosystems, then you understand that you can actually have black owned and operated ecosystems that don't require a lot of input from everybody else in the rest of the world. You just have to know where you're going to get all the components and ingredients in order to make that thing work. So the 3C model is something that works, it's something that you can apply, and it's something that I hope that because you've been introduced to this, you won't be so intimidated by the idea of of creating economic opportunity and prosperity within your space, and within your family. If you can solve the three C's, maybe you go to grandma's house for Sunday dinner and you got five good cousins that are that are all down for the cause, that, that are all willing to do what they what, what, what needs to be done. You can get a lot of this done. OK. All right. So that's the lesson for today. Um, I hope this conversation was beneficial to you. I hope this helped you. Uh, I want to remind everyone that if you want to see the recordings of any of the trainings that we've done, all the material, every single training that we do is being loaded at drboicedaily.com. drboycedaily.com. Also, if you go to drboycebooks.com, you can get a copy of the study guide or the book, The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power. That's what we're training from. We're, those slides, that study guide is coming out of the book. And, uh, also every morning at 10 AM Eastern, that's when we're going to meet again. So we're going to meet again tomorrow. And so, um, uh, I hope you guys have a great day. I'm going to be hanging out with my wife in Vegas and, uh, but also on Monday, I'm going to circle back around. We're going to do some stuff on stock markets and stock options. A lot of you are in the prime program and, uh, and you had some interesting things happen with your money this week. Good. I think, I think it was good stuff because prices all went up and a lot of money got made. So if you want to, um, If you want to take a look at any of that stuff, you can go to boyswalkins.com and uh, there's a training called How to Make Money Without Working to introduce you to our Prime program. But then also on top of that, uh, I will be texting you guys from Prime to let you guys know that we're going to have a class this week coming up. So take care, everybody. God bless you. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye-bye.